What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. Guys, I'm super excited for uh, this podcast. Um, I said it in the the actual, actual episode as well. It's a long time coming. Um, I've been in talks uh, a few times, a couple times uh, with Dave, and finally uh, all the pieces aligned and and we got it done. So super, super excited for that. And shout out to Dave for uh, being a catalyst to, to get everything together. Um, but yeah, super excited about it. Uh, I have some of the guys from DU Indiana uh, on the podcast tonight. Uh, and it's just super cool to hear everything they got going on and and all about the projects and, and the conservation and all that. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be a good one. Stick around for it. Um, but first, I got a couple updates. Um, so uh, I got a funny story for you. Um, me and my buddy Hunter are building a blind. I know I've talked about it a couple times, but uh, finally we got all the pieces built. And so his idea was that we'd build the blind in his driveway. So we built this blind to completion in his driveway. Then we're disassembling it, keeping like the walls and the floor uh, all together. It's a, it's a blind with barrels. It's a floating blind. Um and then the rest of it's made out of wood. So it's kind of like a box box blind with uh, angled top and then shooter holes in the front. So like I said, we got it all built to completion. And his idea was take it apart, we're going to get it over the marsh, and then we're going to march it in there. Um, I des- definitely had my reservations about this idea because um, if you guys watched the snake swamp videos, you know that uh, I struggled <laughs> to build that one. And it was just taking the pieces in. Um, but I mean, there was a lot that went into this one too. So a lot of hauling, a lot of, a lot of everything. Anytime you get, you're building something in the marsh where you can't just like drive it up there with a vehicle, it can be, um, pretty, pretty difficult to, you know, to get through it. So, um, to kind of give some context to this, a uh, hunter's, uh, pretty fit. He's currently training for September elk. I learned partway through the day. Um, that he is running incline sprints right now um, to just burn out his legs as much as he can and recover quickly because that's what you're doing uh, in the mountains when you're hunting elk. So uh, me, on the other hand, I'm not really working out uh, a ton at all. So <laughs> we got halfway through it, and we're just hauling this stuff through there. So I'm going to say it's like 80 yards from the edge of the marsh to the blind position, maybe a little further. I should, I should probably um, draw it out on, on X, but anyways, uh, it's, it's a pretty far distance considering you're, you're trekking through, uh, like waist deep, um, water muds and weed, uh, weeds all through there. And we got about halfway through it, taking barrels. We took eight barrels. We took, um, a platform. This blind is going to be 12 feet long by, eight feet wide, eight feet wide. So it's not a small blind at all. It's a, it's a big blind, um, four shooter holes. But like I said, we started carrying in there to like two barrels at a time. Then we carried the flooring and then we carried the walls and we got about to the first wall and, um, it's everything I can do to keep up with Hunter. He's, he's in much better shape than me. And this was a little bit of a wake up call for me with, uh, <laughs> not having my marsh legs ready and season. I mean, coming up fast. I'm going to be in the marshes, uh, on the Mississippi river for Iowa coming super fast. So yeah. Yeah. Needless to say, um, I need to get in <laughs> in shape for that. I told him about halfway there. I'm like, man, I'm about to throw up. I just can't, I can't keep up with you. 
um, we'd get one thing out there and he'd start marching back and, and I'd reluctantly, reluctantly follow, um, <laughs> at a little bit slower pace. He'd be up there grabbing the next piece and I'd finally get up there and then he's just ready to go again. So, um, we made it through all of it. It probably took us about three or four hours to haul all that out there and reassemble it. So, um, I mean, what that part, as far as like the time, you know, uh, that's, I don't know. I really don't know if it was a better way or not that at the end of it, either way, anytime you got to bring a bunch of stuff into the marsh piece by piece and assemble it or in a giant, uh, pre-assembled pieces, either way, it's just, it's pretty tough. So I got home though. And this is the funny part. So up to there, it was like, awesome. Glad we got it done. I mean, I sweated like you wouldn't believe wearing waders. It's like 80 degrees, sunny. Um, and yeah, so I got home and, I was just completely drained. So sat down in the recliner and I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden I've never, I don't think I've ever had it, but shin splints. It's like the opposite of getting a Charlie horse in your calf. So I get shin splints. My feet are just like stuck, um, flexed with the, the, the Charlie horse in my shin. Um, and then next I'm like calling for my wife, trying to get her to help me, uh, uh, stretch it out. She starts stretching it out. And then next I get a Charlie horse and like the opposite leg thigh. Then she tries to stretch out the thigh. And now like my hamstring gets a cramp in it. So pretty soon I had like Charlie horses in both shins, both calves, both thighs and both hamstrings. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I literally couldn't get off the floor, tried to get off the floor and just the effort of <laughs> engaging my muscles, uh, just gave me insane cramps. So, um, leg cramps are no fun. I laid there and drank as much water as humanly possible. I was like Googling, uh, antidotes for leg cramps. I was drinking apple cider vinegar, which is super bitter. Um, and yeah, uh, eventually it did go away, but, uh, definitely took some time and <laughs> a lot of water. So, uh, like I said, my wake up call, I'm getting on a workout regimen like tomorrow morning, and uh, working out every day until season so that I'm uh, ready to go because <clears throat> definitely can't be uh, doing that instead of uh, getting after the birds during season. So let's get a quick word, get a quick word rather from our partners and we'll go ahead and jump on into uh, the podcast with the DU guys. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to Final Approach. Guess Final Approach uh, is the one-stop shop for waterfowl hunters. They got A-frames, they got, well, they got their, their sub three-man blind, stand-up blind is what they call it. It's like their version of an A-frame blind. They got waders, they got decoys, um, they got some awesome improvements on decoys this year uh i'm a huge fan of <laughs> a lot of them um but they just got anything that you need as a duck hunter um so i know this is the time of year where you, you're amping up ready to go so definitely definitely uh check them out over there and get what you need for waterfowl season also like to give a big big thanks to onyx guys onyx is the app for hunters and and we're all hunters we're duck hunters and there's some great application for duck hunters uh, when it comes to Onyx. Uh, me personally, my favorite thing is when I'm looking for a private permission spot, um, I can get on there, I can see the landowner, I can see their tax address, I can drive to it, I can knock on the door. You might not get a yes, but you get there a lot quicker. Um, and, you know, knocking on doors is definitely, definitely a numbers game. So uh, the quicker you can do it, the quicker you can get up those numbers and eventually you're going to get a yes. So check it out, guys, Onyx. Um, you can use it on your mobile 
Apple, Android, or PC. Also, like to give a big thanks to Motion Ducks, guys. Motion Ducks is uh, the motion system that we all need for duck hunters. There's there's no wind days um, where you can run a single spreader, you can run an ultimate, you can run two ultimates all in the same line. You get that life-like motion in your decoys. If you haven't seen it, you got to check it out on a video and see what it does because it's way better than a traditional jerk rig. So check them out, guys, over there on motionducks.com. Also like to give a big thanks to Weatherby. Guys, Weatherby has um, some awesome shotguns. Uh, they're getting more and more known for their shotgun. They just had a new one release on their site. It is uh, the Orion SXS side-by-side. They have it in 20-gauge. They have it in 12-gauge. Um, and it's got mechanical triggers. I got I to gotta do some research on it a little bit more to get the specs. But I'm super excited to, to see this shotgun because... Um, just something about duck hunting with uh, a side by side is gonna be gonna be awesome. Um, not only that, but they got you know they got the 18i for waterfowlers. They have the Element for waterfowlers, which are both um, great semi-automatic um, options in the Weatherby lineup. So check them out, guys, over there. Um, you won't be disappointed. So. Uh, oh, oh! Don't want to forget Patreon, guys. Definitely jump over to Patreon, guys. It's it's gonna be a pretty good chance. Patreon group. I've made it pretty exclusive. Uh, I don't have like a low entry point. It's uh, you know the the first entry point is the ten dollar mark. So we don't have a ton of people in there, um, and the the people in there they're awesome supporters, and I'm super excited because one of you is gonna win the hunt giveaway. We might be going to Iowa. We might be going somewhere else. Um, really depends on how we can nail down. Uh, are aligning our schedules, but I'm going to get one of you guys out on a hunt with me. We're going to film it, put it on YouTube. Um, we're going to have a good time. I'm going to cover a certain amount, percentage of a certain dollar amount, I should say, of the expense uh, to get you uh, on the hunt as well. So definitely, guys, definitely, I'm, I'm super excited for it. Uh, get over there on um, Patreon because, it, I mean, the giveaway is going to be in the next two to three weeks. I haven't locked down an exact date, but it's going to be it's going to be soon. So uh, definitely jump over there and don't miss your chance to get on a hunt with me. All righty, guys, let's go ahead and jumping on to the main part of the podcast. Guys are like, oh, man, you know, sorry for no, 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 or whatever. But I just feel like I should have had to record the whole thing, but <laughs> we can talk about that another time. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about these guys, and that's the one thing that, like, even with DU, but outside of just, you know, as a waterfowler, like, I hate seeing us tear each other apart because it's like, dude, there is no gatekeeping. We need every person. I mean, we need every license sale. We need all that stuff. We'll find a way, you know, kind of deal. But that's that's something we talked about on the way up here and had a lot of conversations. It's like, man, we get frustrated, but, like, not everybody knows how to run a boat motor. Not everybody knows what a, a good spread looks like and stuff. And, unfortunately, like, from our experience, and, and maybe it's just regional, but, man, there's not a lot of lending hands out there either as far as trying to help people out. So, I don't know. That's a, a takeaway. I wish we all be, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody, man. 4.30 in the morning, you're trying to get to that spot. I'm not really looking to <laughs> make friends or anything at that right. time. But, man, if we all tried a little bit more I mean, yep. the draws are like i always tell people you're gonna go to a draw to, at fwa in indiana like dude just be ready i mean because it's not gonna be <laughs> it, you're gonna get some nasty looks you're gonna get bad info i mean it's gonna be guys blocking you in got you know it's just <laughs> and we enjoy it. it's what you grow up with but it's like man it could be better you know it could be right right better, so it's know. like uh the old kind of meme where um 
you meet a duck hunter in like a grocery store and your best friends. Yeah. But you yep. meet a duck hunter at the boat ramp and you're mortal enemies. Hundred <laughs> percent accurate. Yeah. Yeah. If you're at a party or whatever, if they don't hunt, man, we don't have a whole lot to talk about. But right. it's like you meet that dude that is as passionate, has all the same interests and hobbies and that, but he might take one duck off you or something. You're like, ah, dude, I'm you know, <laughs> terrible. But definitely, definitely. And and yeah. Well we should probably do intros before we get into it. We got yeah. a lot we could we could talk about. Um but guys, uh we are live on the Duck Gun Podcast tonight and I got Josh Hall for, with me. He is the senior senior regional director of Ducks Unlimited Indiana. Um I got Dave Horvath. Did I say it right? That'll work. <laughs> and he's the Rochester Youth and Education guy over there. Did I say your your the, the Rochester area chairman and I sit on the state committee? As the youth and education chairman. Okay, awesome, awesome. So some great guys um, for the DU and um, everything they do. So I'm super excited to have you guys on. It's been a long time in the making. We've talked about it um, a couple times, and you know it's one of those things where you guys are, are super busy in the spring, and then I get super busy in the hunting season. And yep. <laughs> so we got it squeezed in here in in the preseason. Um, we're ready to go. Yeah, so, appreciate you having us. Yeah, awesome great to be here. Yeah. It's uh it's exciting to to talk about duck hunting anytime and especially with DU and it's actually been uh kind of one of my goals this year to get more involved with with conservation. You know, I get that that question um here and there and uh, I'm I'm a newer duck hunter. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my 8th season. I don't know how long I can say I'm a newer duck hunter, but uh <laughs> I think it's kind of a natural progression to kind of start out as hunting. You just try to figure it out and then once you get into it and you really learn the ins and outs, you kind of see some of uh, the conservation issues that are that are coming our way, and you want to get involved, you want to help um, make sure ensure that that's going to be around for generations to come. And you know, I got two kids that are five and uh, two, and it's like, man, that'd be. I, I just want to make sure that there's that heritage and that um, tradition that we have in duck hunting that we love that we can pass on to the next generation that's something that du does that's that's awesome so that's uh that, that's super cool yeah absolutely no we, we always talk dave and i've had this conversation with a lot of people that you know that there's a cyclical cycle that's redundant but there's a cycle <laughs> to a waterfowler you know you go out first you just want to be out there you want to shoot a duck and then it's about you know shooting what type of duck and then it's limits and then it's you know then you start getting in that man i want to introduce somebody to it and then you have these old timers and such that are like I just want to see a sunrise. You know, I don't have to see a duck. I don't have to shoot my gun. I just want to smell, you know, the wet dog. I want to see, you know, some birds work or whatever. And we talk about that. The one thing that a biggest test to us, even outside of Ducks Unlimited, is we have to make conservation a bigger part of it. We need to make conservation cool before you're 70. You talk to any duck hunter that's been around, they're going to preach about this is the glory days. What you have is as good as it gets, you know, kind of deal. And we should have done more 50 years ago. And, and we really lose that on, on you know, I, I take you're probably in your 30s. I'm in my 30s, Dave. I'm 40, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's there's no better time than now kind of deal. And if we wait till we're 70, what an opportunity lost, you know. Right, it's, right. But we'll get into that. No, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, let's just kind of start from the top. How did you guys get into duck hunting? We'll start with you, Josh. Uh, grew up with it. You know, I was pretty fortunate. My family um, – come from a line of outdoorsmen, my, my grandpa, my dad especially. Um, so I think my first duck hunt, I was probably three or four years old. Um, been ate up with it since. Um, you know, kind of went to college and all that. Uh, got really heavily involved in Ducks Unlimited at Purdue. You know, they had a chapter and had some great guys really, you know, 
I was in conservation. Well, I actually started in pharmacy. Wasn't smart enough, you know. <laughs> Went to my parents. They're like, "What are you gonna do with your life?" And I'm, you know, do something you love. Kind of jokingly, I'm like, "I'm gonna work for ducks," you know, kind of deal. Not something I would tell everybody to do. It's kind of a very niche market kind of deal. But um, get to do what I love. Um, but that's that's really how I got into duck hunting. Man, was just four or five years old. Dad taking me out shooting a couple woodies, you know, on irrigation ditches here in Indiana and stuff. Draw out your fish and wildlife areas, and then it's kind of progressed that it's it's almost a sickness, you know. Right, it's, right. It's, seeing different water different land kind of deal and chasing them all over so definitely definitely that's that's cool to hear and and uh definitely blessed to have that that opportunity to get rolling in it and and uh, how about you dave well, for me it was a little different you know i i grew up kind of northwest indiana the region uh could literally see the illinois indiana state line from my backyard didn't hunt you know it wasn't until we moved down to to the plymouth area and you know i was basically in a rural community and kind of new kid in town had to kind of fit in, uh, so I learned to hunt. Got a you know a couple guys and ran around with hunting. It's just like well, let's we shot squirrels, we shoot deer. What about ducks and geese? You know, I I got a pond right across the road, ten acre pond loaded with geese. Let's go shoot them. You know, and so that's where we started, and really didn't you know tried it a little bit, but it wasn't until I was out of high school. You know, uh, I was almost say I'm an adult onset hunter run in that regard coming to waterfowl anyway uh you know as my first season was probably 97 98 and i was 19 20 years old somewhere in there that's when i first started and i was very fortunate i had you know i had a couple guys three four guys that ran around they all had they were all from the area old families knew everybody so we always had access i had the gear they had the access and then, you know, once we go off to college, they kind of separate it. And then I was fortunate to uh, pick up one of those mentors that everybody wants. You know, it's like, hey, you, what are you doing during the day? How come you guys are hanging out at my taxidermy <laughs> shop in the middle of the day? Don't you work? Oh, I work second shift. Oh, my buddy's a bartender. You guys, you guys like shooting ducks? Want to go jump some ditches? <laughs> we shot a lot of ducks on ditches. So awesome. That's how I came about it. Super cool. So does the does the curls on the mustache help with that or? Oh, definitely. That's all we shoot is curls. For you guys listening, Dave's got, he's got the, what do you even call it? Just curls on it's, the end of your mustache. Hand, it's a but, handlebar. Oh, there we go. I knew yeah. there was a name yeah. for it, and I couldn't remember. So, um, yeah, let me help you fix your mic there a little bit. There we go. All right. There you go. Don't get into the mustache. <laughs> no, yeah, don't want to mess that up. Oh, uh, yeah, awesome. Awesome. Yep, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool to kind of hear you guys both been hunting for a long time, and, you know, it's, the old saying, hunting is conservation. So what do you guys feel about as far as what the rule is for hunting and conservation? I, I mean, I wish people took that, you know, a little more seriously. It, it should be a, you know, we look at conservation as just, it, it's it's mandatory in, in our thinking. I mean, you can't have it. You can't expect full skies, better harvests, better seasons and stuff if you're not putting on the groundwork. You know, I I always, you know, contribute to the work you put in for season-wise. You know, you, you go and you, you sight in your gun, you know, you, ch- you test different patterns. You're going to get the decoys cleaned up. You're going to keep the dog in shape. Man, the conservation part is, like, that's the most important. We always talk about, like, gear and stuff. You can have the best gear. You can be the best caller. If you ain't got the spot the birds want to be, you're not going to have a successful hunt in terms of numbers. Conservation is the same thought process. If you don't put into the resource, do a little extra, and it's it's a group effort. Man, it's hard to expect different results, you know. And it's it's not conservation's a losing game too. We're losing quicker than we can gain, and that's not, probably not going to ever change. But it's just how much loss are we going to be okay with, you know? Right, right. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to go off my notes a little bit. So like as as hunters, 
what is the most important thing we can do as far as like, you know, there's obviously different things that DU does and everybody knows like what a DU banquet is or most, Mm -hmm. most hunters eventually get introduced to that. Um, like it's participating in those is being, um, uh, a person that goes to that and donates what, like, what is the most important thing or way that the duck hunters can help with that conservation? I think that, I think that's kind of a twofold question because you're right with it, with, Attending DU banquets or Delta banquets or NWTF, that all that all adds to the landscape. Uh, but then when you also think about your federal duck stamp, license sales, even if you don't think you're going to hunt, buy your license because that puts money into the DNR coffers mm-hmm. that they can then use with Pittman-Robertson dollars to fund projects. Yeah, so, two stamps. Two I mean, stamps. It, yeah, buy two stamps. Like, yeah. Sure, yeah. I, you know, you'll see a lot of the posts on Indiana Ducks Unlimited. There was a recent one with duck stamps and then the release date. Those were my pictures, my stamps. I buy three or four because there's always somebody calling, hey, I'm going hunting tomorrow. Do you have a stamp? Because Walmart's out. Yep, I got one for you. They just changed electronic, though, they, so yeah, everybody should did. be in they, good shape. So, you know, <laughs> shouldn't have those calls no. anymore. But, and, yeah. Oh, and Indiana I, switched to that? It should be nationwide, actually. Oh, wow. They're going yeah. through, okay. yeah. It's uh, still in the works, I believe, but went, went through the Senate, I believe. Right. It looks yeah, like the, it's good shape. The latest awesome. DU podcast has a, has a thing on that. Yeah. So. But, no, going back to the conservation, it is, like he said, license sales. That, that's bare minimum. That's what you have to legally right, do. Right, right. Um, so, and, and that's, I want to pull my hair out, what little hair I have left is, when, when guys complain about it, it's like, man, that Pittman-Robinson, like a duck stamp, that is, take all your thoughts, all politics out, that is the one of the best government-ran programs of all time. I mean, what is it, 98, 98, 98 99 cents of every dollar of that goes right, directly right. into the ground. That's pretty damn efficient kind of deal, you know. Um, but going back to conservation, um, anything you can do. I mean, it's that's what people always come to us, and, you know, I get it too that's like, Man, I, I can't go. I can't spend. You know, I, I don't make that much. We, we have three things we can offer any organization. It's your time, your talent, or your treasure. You know, if you can't write those big checks, if you can't drop 200 bucks on a Friday night at DU Banquet, that's perfectly fine, man. It's Duck hunting's expensive. There are a lot of costs in the world. Can you give us a little bit of your time being a volunteer? Can you spread the good word on, on Facebook or something? you got an event coming up. Invite three or four buddies. Go eat a pork chop, have a beer, try to win a gun. I mean, that all matters. You know, every dollar, we, we, you know, we just did our audits. 84 cents of every dollar raised, you know, is going to go right into the mission, right into the ground. So if you could be an attendee, volunteer, I mean, that's the big thing that I think people understand is, like, it doesn't come a second job. 10, 12 hours a year, you know, that you're helping out host an event, you know, and Dave's laughing because his turns into a little bit more you get at his level. Um, but, I mean, it literally boils down to that, man. Spread the word. You know, a couple likes on Facebook. That that little stuff matters. I mean, same, you know, if anything in social media. But, um, you know, anything you put in, we're never going to, you know, we'll always ask for a little bit more. That's just the nature of us. But it's uh, anything you can do, man. It's We all got to chip in. You know, it's it really is, is important. Awesome. Definitely. Definitely. So kind of kind of to take a little bit step back. Um, for the new hunters, because we definitely get some new hunters listening to the podcast here. Um, so what what would you say, what is DU? So Ducks Unlimited uh, started in 1937. It's a wetland and waterfowl conservation group. Um, you know, we, we kind of always go with singularity of purpose. That's what we do. We do habitat work. Um, solely focus on habitat. Our belief and science backs it that the better habitat you have for mama duck, you know, from to and from, you know, along the flyways, the better populations you're going to have. Um, that can kind of compete with, 
you know, natural disasters. It could compete with, you know, drought, all that kind of stuff. If you have better habitat and more habitat, you're going to win in the long run. Um, but that's essentially what DU has done. It's a grassroots fundraising organization driven by volunteers. Um, Indiana, for instance, just, you know, on a smaller level, two paid staff members. The rest, we have about, you know, 12, 1,100, 1,200 volunteers that host events. Um, but that's what we do. We have volunteers drive events. They raise funds. We have a uh, biology team, scientists in that, that they work in the mud. They deliver projects across North America. Um, and that's really our purpose. I mean, our, our mission statement is, is you know, uh, conservation sufficient to fill the skies with waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. And that's really what we focus on is, um, but the big thing that, you know, I keep reiterating is you're going to learn if you get on the conservation side, conservation without money is just a conversation. You cannot get anything done. So that fundraising, that grassroots fundraising aspect is just so important to what we do. So it, it really is the, the, the lifeblood of our organization. Awesome. Yeah, definitely couldn't, uh, couldn't agree with you more on all that. And it's, uh, Super cool to to see that in action, um, you know. I'm kind of one question on that, and I I just you know nowadays a lot of people want to know exactly you know where the where their money goes when they donate it and all that, and so kind of getting a little bit to the nitty gritty on that. Um, like if someone donates at a DU banquet, how how does that money get to the conservation? What what channels does it take? Is yes. this do you, yep. Is that a good question? That's a good, great okay. question. We okay. get asked that a lot. So, you know, one of the things that make waterfowl, so whether it be us or Delta, um, that make our challenge so much is the the animal, you know, the waterfowl that we're trying to conserve, migrate. So it's, you know, not saying that any conservation organization has an easy task, but we have to have, you know, proper um, habitat from essentially the Arctic Circle all the way down to the southern tip of North America um, and everything in between to, to accomplish our mission. So that kind of makes it a little tough in that regard. Um, when you donate a dollar to DU Chapter, so like Dave hosts an event in Rochester, we're going to raise $20,000 um, net. He's going to send that money to Memphis. That's where our national headquarters is. And then we work off grants, um, other types of basis, our, our field staff, so our biologists and stuff out in the field. They're going to work out of that kitty. And essentially when they have projects and they're across North America, um, we leverage dollars. And that's one of the things that's kind of a misconception, you know, is, well, if it goes here, usually any, any dollar you donate, particularly like a major donor, major gift, they're going to leverage five, six, seven times. Now, it's public dollars, that's NACA grants, that's matching funds from other hook-and-bullet organizations um, and other private donations. So we're going to stretch your dollar as far as we can. It's going to go down to Memphis. They're going to go based. Everything we do is science-based, so it's almost like a competition, if you will, with the biologists. They're going to look at it and say, I have this project. I think I need X amount of dollars to complete. They're going to go through, put it in budget. That's where your dollar is going to go back into the ground. So one of the questions we get asked, and I think you're kind of leading to, you know, if, sure. if you donate in Rochester, does that money go into Rochester? Not necessarily. It's not how we work. And there's a lot of science behind that. It's going to go to where it's most needed, um, where we need at the time. But your return, particularly, you know, any state I could answer that question, but Indiana alone, I mean, we've, we've invested heavily. We'll talk a little bit. I know you guys always razz about Indiana hunting. There's nobody sitting there planning their Indiana non-resident trip right now, I promise you. Like, guys are looking at Arkansas, North Dakota. I heard you guys on your, you know, Rogers talking about yep, it. Yep. Um, I hope so. I, I love I, I'm, I love what we have here, you know, and I, I'm sure you do too, man. It's, it's where you grew up and stuff. But what we have is important. So today, talking about what, you know, in, on an Indiana perspective, um, we've spent just shy of $20 million right here in the state and conserved over 33,000 acres. So while we don't do it, you know, if Rochester, we don't spend it right in Rochester because that might be the, the most need. 
um, your dollars are coming back. And then that's every state. We have projects in all 50 states. So it's a, it's a good return on investment. It's just not that direct, you know. Everybody says, well, if we raised it in this town, your town might not have a marsh, you know. And, and we're good at what we do. But we can't just change the landscape <laughs> can't on that just level. Make a marsh just, out there. Correct. Yeah, you can't just dig a hole and ducks find it next year, kind of deal. That'd be a, a good way to waste a bunch of money. So right, right. No, that's definitely good to hear because it's like, whenever you you talk about DU chapters, there's always kind of the one off guy here or there, um, who will give kind of criticism to say, hey, um, the money that I spend here, um, they're spending it in Canada or something like that. Yeah. So. Um, Which I always, you know, I always tell them guys, I said, man, when you're sitting there and you're watching the weather change, well, everybody's on their app or whatever, and you get that northwest blow, are them birds coming from, you know, the place you're hunting? Right, No, right. you're waiting for them birds to come out of Canada or, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, wherever they're staged at, you're hoping they migrate. What it comes down is we also have priority breeding levels. That's where we're going to, you know kind of hierarchy of dollars is we're going to go where mama duck needs it most and, and the nesting habitat is key where we have we do have a lot of nesting in indiana um not like uh dakotas or the canadian prairies or anything but we have a healthy you know nesting population right here in indiana pretty much every state you know in the northern northern half is, is a nesting habitat but um you know that that's where them dollars are going to be spent now what we're getting at is the breeding habitat's pretty solid right now always is going to need it's always at a loss kind of deal but we're finding those those tributaries you know the the migration pathways like here again in indiana not too indiana centric but your rivers i mean we constantly need to do work wabash kankakee the ohio um the white river systems that's where the birds the corridors are taken so that's where a lot of our projects are right now is is the focus we've done you know what we can in the breeding population stuff so now we're working on that pathway to and from so definitely definitely i can definitely see where like both are obviously important having you got to have the ducks breeding and you got to have your local areas too it's like you talked about you know um we're, we're not in north dakota we're not in arkansas we're, we're indiana and yep. we definitely do have some waterfowl opportunities um and they're not as good as as those <laughs> destination states but it is super important to have the local areas because you talked about at kind of the beginning of this it every hunter matters every license sell all that and if we don't have huntable areas locally then you're not going to have I mean, people aren't going to be a hardcore waterfowl if the waterfowl if the only way that they can hunt is to travel non-resident all the time. So um, it is, you know, it is important and it's cool to see kind of the work um, not only here but you know in the breeding areas as well that the DU is doing. Yeah, yeah. And one of those things, like if you you go look on ducks.org, there's a tab up on I believe up on the right hand corner that says my state. Scroll, use the drop down menu, pick Indiana. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. It says where we work, Mm -hmm. meet the staff, you know, contact us, something like that. But if you click on there, it'll bring up a map of Indiana with all 92, 93 counties. And I'm pretty sure there's yellow dots of projects in almost all of those counties that represent that 30,000-plus acres that we've conserved in Indiana. Yep. What, 37 years that we've been here? Yep. And a lot of it's cool, too. I mean, for and, and this goes for any state. Um, you know, we get a lot of it. You know, it's only, only private donors or anything. I'll tell you, any any state you pick up, go to the ducks.org website. Those are audited numbers. A lot of it's going to fall on your FWAs, you know, or FWAs, whatever you guys call them in your state. But a lot of the work we do is with public, you know, your DNR, Department of you know, Natural Resources, whatever you have in your state, what it's called. But, you know, it's, it's good for the public domain. I mean, we, we spend money where the ducks need to be which also benefits waterfowlers because that's where you guys are going to hunt. So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a really good give and take. It's not an easy, tangible, you know, like you said, I can't track your 35 bucks and say, hey, Jordan, thanks for your 35 bucks at local <laughs> banquet. We bought two cattails over here. It's not right, how it right, kind right. of deal. Yep. I wish it was, you know, but it, it's <laughs> a little more complicated than that. Definitely, definitely. 
Um, well, that kind of leads me into kind of the next next thing I want to talk about. But um, what kind of projects do you guys have going on? I know it's it's super important. We talked about ensuring the long term success of waterfowl, and we even talked about the yellow dots and the projects. But you know, um, can we get into it a little bit more specifically? Yeah, as far yeah, as absolutely. what projects are going on right now. So you just talking about here in Indiana? Sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 So again, a lot of our work that you're going to see is going to be in your FWAs. Um, so as of right now, I know we're breaking ground. We have Willow Slough, so that's a, a big Northwest Indiana. Um, they're draining the the lake essentially. We're doing a lot of restoration work, some water control structure stuff there. Um, for the first time ever at Jasper Pulaski, we're going to do some work. We just have some initiation phases or initial phases, excuse me. Um, we just finished up some projects at LaSalle. Goose Pond, we're constantly always doing it. Hovey. Um, Cedar Swamp up Cedar in Swamp. northeast Indiana, which was, a, which was a project, I believe, that we we initially funded and engineered back in the early 80s. And Correct. the lifespan yep. of that water control structure finally, you know, it hit its limit and needed mm-hmm. replaced. Yep. And that's where we did our last dedication. And then our most recent pride and joy, you know, a lot of what we do is, is like he said, I mean, it, it's conservation is always a cost. I mean, it, it's if, if you conserve something, give it 15, 20 years, it's going to degradate. You know, you're going to have silt, water control structures rot, you know, all that kind of jazz. Um, so there's constant bill there. Um, but the big one I, I'd like to share that we had just about this time last year right. is uh, over at Kankakee Fish and Wildlife Area, we were able to help uh, essentially foot the bill for a, a purchase of 276 acres. So for those familiar with Kinky, I know we're getting very niche here, but um, on the north side of the property, right along Kinky River, there was a, a longtime DU volunteer and donor who had the property, had it set up perfect for what we're doing, did a lot of DU projects on it over the years, and uh, we were able to purchase that and put it in the uh, to the state. So now it's going to be able to be hunted. Um, it's going to be a great conservation tool. Really, it's going to be a marquee project. But those, again, 276 acres in this day and age, that's a seven dollar or seven-figure price tag on that. So that's, right, right. you know, when people ask, man, when you're holding all these events, I spend all this money. That's where it goes. I mean, that's the if we don't have that 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 bank role to be able to do those when those opportunities come up, you miss those and they're not making any more land. So we've got to jump on those opportunities, but you got to have the cash to make it happen. So it's uh, cool to see that full circle right in our backyard. So right, right, right. And kind of kind of from an outside in. You guys named a lot of uh, like fish and wildlife areas, uh, yeah. like state properties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's I guess what's the um, the correlation or, or or how do you guys work with uh, Indiana, you know, uh, DNR for uh, those properties. So that's going to be our biologists. So we have uh, Dane and, and Maddie. Um, they're, they're big river initiative biologists, so they work in Indiana and Illinois. Um, but, but essentially it comes down to just conversations. We're going to talk to property managers. Um, we go to site visits. We're going to say, hey, what do you guys need? What are your, your goals and such? Um, and they're going to go, and we just list it. We look at the science. going to look at the best return on our dollar, what matching grants we could get based on location, and then based off need, you know, where we need it most. And then uh, they're going to work with that. They kind of prioritize it, fit it in budget, and then we start breaking ground. So I can tell you, you know, on the fundraising side, they spend it as quick as we report it. So, I mean, they're, they're busy. I mean, they're always in the mud. You know, we, we, we take care of the money. They take care of the mud. But that's kind of the sense, you know, we, we have a great partnership with the DNR. I, I know a lot of, you know, that's another thing, my pet peeve, and not to get on a tangent here, but on these Facebook pages and stuff, man, your local DNR, I promise they're trying to help you. You know, I mean, you guys right, right. I see this, that they're the enemy. You know, Dave works hand in hand with a lot of them. These are people who have dedicated their life to making the resource, natural resources better. So give them a little grace and, and, and give them some insight, man. Not not necessarily every complaint, you know, and they're they're trying the best they can do to make it better for you guys in fall and winter, I promise. Yeah, I mean, you want to learn about a property. The property managers are very open. I mean, now at 4 o'clock, when you want to know where the <laughs> birds are from the yeah. day before, they're not going to be real open when you're waiting in line for a draw. But in the off season, they are very receptive to 
questions and working with, you know, they're, they're just like DU. They need volunteers too. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, uh, I work with Kent Key Fish and Wildlife out there, the property manager down at Atterbury. Those two specifically because we've, we've hosted and co-hosted with DNR some waterfowl 101 classes to introduce people to, you know, what it takes to be a waterfowler, you know, the, the young guys or the new guys coming in. So, and it's, those have been really great classes. They've always filled up, always had great turnout for them. We've got a lot of volunteers out of them over the years. And we, you know, we see these guys throughout the year at the draws, at events. So, it's really neat to see them progress yeah. as waterfowlers too, because yeah. you see them. I mean, they they're we always joke sawbills. I mean, they don't know it. You know, they, they're as green <laughs> as they come. But now you see them in line and stuff. And again, yeah. I mean, it, you know, not preaching to the choir, but it's not a bad thing to have more hunters. I know, you know, particularly in Indiana, most of the public you're going to be at a draw. Nobody likes to stand in line at four o'clock in the morning, not knowing where you're going to go or if you're going to hunt. But every person that does it, man, they've contributed conservation through license sales, through federal duck stamp purchase. Uh, it's not a bad thing. Could we use more resources? That's why we do what we do. We want more, you know, uh, more habitat for the ducks, but also more habitat for us to go out and recreate on. But it's uh, it's good. It's full circle. Definitely. That kind of kind of brings up uh, something else. This might be more up your alley, Dave, for a question for you, but um, you kind of mentioned it with the 101 classes, but youth and waterfowl, and that's the next generation, um, and they're just as important as the hunters we have now. You know, we need to keep youth involved, but – um, what does DU do for for uh, youth in duck hunting? Well, that's that's a great question, Jordan. And it, you know that's that's where my journey kind of began. You know, four or five years ago, was I saw that you know my kids are now twelve and nine. Uh, they were you know about the age of your kids, and I'm and I'm looking at what is it going to be like for them. You know, I've traveled all over the country. You know, outside the country hunting and fishing, and to see some of these things, and I. You know, as I go back, like my the the fish camp we'd go to in Canada, year in and year out, you could see the change in the habitat through just wildfires. Not even, uh, you know, just just the change in it. Not so much from the human encroachment, but it's it's ever ever evolving. Habitat's always changing. So, right now, what we're working with, and that's as the youth and education kind of R three guy in Indiana. I work with other chapters to work on youth and youth events. Uh, you know, we have three to four events throughout the state. Uh, I, at the Rochester chapter, we just had a youth event where we had, we had four stations. We had a trap shooting. We had a decoy painting. Uh, we had a field set up where kids could learn to set up field, a field hunt for geese. And then we had a dog handling exhibit. <clears throat> we, had a, we had a trainer, um, a NABDA trainer. For, for those of you who don't know, is North American uh, Versatile Hunting Dog Association. So he brought out this guy, Three Moon Kennels. He brought out a German short hair pointer and had him doing water retrieves or had her doing water retrieves in the Yellow, or the Tippy River, which you don't see that from a, a short hair very often. <laughs> so, it, you know, that, and that's where the versatile hunting dog. But that gave that was more to give kids an opportunity to experience like, hey, maybe I don't want to shoot guns. Maybe I don't want to be a duck hunter, but I like working with dogs. I really like dogs. Maybe I could run these dogs in a field trial or, or train them to be a companion dog. And that's that's what we were just giving them the opportunity. Yep. And one so. of the things that Dave and I have kind of worked on a lot is 
you know, the studies have kind of shown youth is always great, and there's nothing better than seeing a kid shoot his first green head or something like that. That is that is just as pure of outdoor, you know, adrenaline as you can find. But what we found in our studies is it's really that 18 to 30-year-olds that we need to impact. Because a kid, you know, as much as we put in as volunteers, we can take a kid hunting and stuff. If they don't have a mentor locally that can A, fund it, but also allow them to go out, that dies. It, it won't, uh, you know, a 12-year-old can't fund, I mean, right, most of the 35-year-olds I know can't fund, you know, with their waterfowling addiction, right, let right. alone when you're, you know, working at McDonald's or something, you know, in a, a you know, part-time job. But what we found is those 18 to 30-year-olds, you know, kind of like when you were talking about your journey to that, you are you have a little disposable income. You're kind of deciding what you want to do with your life. So that's where Dave and I have kind of focused with the Waterfowl 101s. We'll always do stuff with the kids. We always want to be that catalyst, that spark, teach them about conservation. But where we're really investing our time and energy is those 18 to 30-year-olds that are trying to figure out, you know, want to get out, want to see what we do. They, they read a magazine or see it on TV, want to see it. Um, we really try to be an, an open door for them and right. introduce them because they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, and that's, even, that's coming down, too, from a national level because as – my other role at, at DU is the uh, Indiana Shooting Sports Coordinator. And uh, basically I'm a representative I, for what we have, the, the Team Resource Assistance Program, we, we call TRAP for short. So that's a, a fundraising program where we offer any shooting sports team, high school, college, uh, we can't do 4-H because of their bylaws, but we offer them a raffle package a lot of them DU merchandise that you'd see, and then we just re- rolled out a, a gun option where they can they can pick and choose the merchandise from our list, and they sell out a raffle, and then they can once they cover the cost of that, they the remainder of the money they get to keep, <clears throat> and it's excuse me it's it's available instantly for whatever needs they need, uh, whether it be at gas or you know, hotels or or shells. Losing your voice there, Dave. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's that is all super cool. Um, definitely cool to hear. Mm-hmm. And I definitely wasn't uh, familiar with the one hundred one project talking about the the eighteen to thirty year old age. And that and it is true with with me as well. Kind of kind of getting into it. Um, it was important an important time. Um, so uh, yeah, I can kind of agree with I mean, your it, studies there. It, it, it when we first hit, it kind of hits you in the face because it's like you think youth, and, and I know growing up, we, we talk about it. You know, even with Indiana, I mean, or any any type, those youth hunts were so iconic. Man, you'd have pizza, you'd be watching, you know, the Whistling Wings v- VHS. We're all that age, yeah. those VHS, maybe DVD, but um, you, you were pumped, man. You go out and you, you water swat a hen woody, and like you're legit, you know. And uh, that, that's all great, and it's something we we do are cognizant of. We want to continue to do youth hunts are awesome. We have you know our Wawa C chapter. Chapter. I'll say, I mean, they do a phenomenal job. They take out 25, 30 kids a year mm-hmm. on a youth hunt, um, which is, is awesome. ton of work on their end, but we really appreciate them doing that. But, again, I, I've got so much out of it. You know, when you volunteer, it's, it's cool. You, you go in. I, I, I always tell people, don't worry about what you get out of it. You'll find something. And, and I'll tell you, the Waterfall 101s, it, it's July. We have a million things going on. But, man, spending that time and seeing it click and then seeing that guy in November or whatever drawn with I, it's a really cool experience. I mean, it's. I would recommend it to any waterfowler. Get somebody out there. Teach them the way. You know, if you think you're doing it the right way, the best thing you do is give back. You know, teach somebody else. Pass that knowledge. Pass that experience on because you're going to be better for it. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Kind of kind of to hit on both sides of that topic. And for me, like, uh, my my grandpa got me into to, uh, upland game hunting. And I was, okay. I can't even remember how old I was, but I was young. 
And it was something like from the time I was like nine to 12, it was just like three years. So, you know, and that kind of planted that seed of hunting in my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once he got too old to go, uh, I just didn't go till sometime in in my uh, upper 20s. So uh, it it is the youth, you know, you plant that seed there. And then, um, but it's like you said, I couldn't at 12, I couldn't, I couldn't continue it no matter how bad I wanted to. Um, but when you get older and you kind of can make those decisions for yourself and um, have disposable income, like you said, and because it does take something to get into the I mean, the hunting we world. We always talk about game. it, and that's that's probably one of the most frequent questions is, what is it going to cost me to become a duck hunter? And <laughs> Dave and I always look at each other and laugh because it's like, we're not even going to tell right we're, now in case our wives hear this podcast, but like, <laughs> it's, it's astronomical, the fee. I mean, do you need a semi-auto gun to shoot a duck? No, but... Most people choose that. Do you right, need right. AVNX decoys or Dave Smith decoys? No, you don't. But that's what's available. You know, I mean, it, there's price ranges, but there's no entry level. I mean, it, it's we always tell guys. I mean, it's I, I don't even want to try to put it's it's well over a thousand bucks. I would oh, yeah. say to have any success, any type of success, unless right. you just have a honey hole and you know, you, you know even like a basic shotgun. You that's know, it. Right? right? Is it that's, that's it. expensive? You're getting on Facebook Marketplace, getting a canoe. You know, spend thirty five bucks on someone's garage sale decoys, and yeah. Uh, so it's it still is a, a little you know steep to to enter in for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, and not knocking them, you know, but like deer hunting, turkey hunting. I mean, everything's expensive. Uh, hunting in general is an expensive sport, but those I feel like it, depending you, you the entry level is much more accessible. Right. I mean, any more set of waders, a low end shotgun, and a dozen decoys, you're over a grand right there. You right, know, right. I mean that's that's just the reality of it. Right. Now, Dave, I didn't. I didn't uh, want to necessarily cut you off. If, I don't know if you can even oh. remember <laughs> what you're talking about before you you lost your voice there. Oh, with our with our trap program, that's kind of where you know we've looked at that 18 to 30 range, <clears throat> and then you know it's high school trap teams or sporting clays or skeet teams. They're just like these high level travel baseball teams. These guys shoot all over the state, all over the country. I mean, we had we had a team here, a, a local team in Warsaw, that they spent a week down in uh, Columbus, Ohio, you know, shooting. Probably shot four or 5,000 rounds for the week, I'm guessing. I wasn't able to attend that event, but there's there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, what, what's a case of shells cost? Now, <laughs> you know, trap yeah. loads, at least $100. Yep. Right. And they're going to shoot probably – 10 to 12 rounds in two days at least. So, Right, definitely. And that's that's where our trap program comes in is because we're offering them funds that are available. They can put into their endowments or they can, like I said, pay for hotels, pay for campsite fees, shells, meals, whatever. Those funds above and beyond the cost of the merchandise, which, again, they don't have to pay for up front. They can just call down to Memphis or, or contact me, and I'll get them in touch with the right people. Hey, we want this package, and we're going to have, uh, you know, we want the 500 tickets that you offer for free, custom print it. And when they sell out their however many tickets, they don't have to sell them all. They can sell 200 and say, hey, I just I just need $1,000 to buy, a, you know, 10 flats of shells. Once they pay that back, they can they can do that. That that money's, un, you know, uh it's not spoken for. It takes a lot of the overhead off. Right. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So, all right. Changing gears just a little bit here. Um, which which organization is better, Ducks Unlimited or Delta Waterfowl? <laughs> I can tell you right now, and, and this is coming. I, we're biased. I, I can tell you, your your dollar is going to go farther with DU. Um, I, I would ask anybody pick one. 
sure. and go with it. Uh, there is no I, fight between I, I don't I mean, think you have to pick one, Josh. No, pick, yep. Be a, be a member of both. I'm pretty sure we're both members. Yep, correct. Right, right. I am as well, yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it, it's we have our strengths and weaknesses kind of deal. People build that. It's one of those, like, Facebook things. Oh, yeah, You, yeah. you know, it, it's. It, I'll tell you, I don't care if you come, come up with your own conservation organization. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of state – as long as you're doing something for conservation, if you're giving your time or your money to it, man, I'm even throwing the turkeys, throwing white tail. I mean, all that. Conservation is so underfunded. If you're doing anything for an organization, they're all awesome. I mean, it, pick any one of them. Pick which one you you know fits your your belief system. What, what you want to get out of it better. But um, sure, but, my but, next question was going to be like, how do you guys collaborate with other conservation organizations, or is there some amount of collaboration with? DU and Delta, or the are they just completely separate in like the the ways they kind of focus on conservation? There, there are some. Yeah, I, I think there are some differences. I mean, they they Delta focuses a lot on uh, predator control, and I think we we look at more of habitat, mm-hmm. which I don't think you can have one without the other. No, you know, it, no. It, so and when you well. look at a, a bigger, you know, you look at a continental approach a lot. I mean, there's many a time you go up to Canadian prairies. There's DU and Delta biologists working hand in hand. Um, research side, definitely. I mean, it, it's they're both phenomenal in that regard. Um, other than that, we're both trying to put more ducks in the sky, you know, and, right. and we need grassroots fundraising volunteers to do so. So it's, uh, I mean, people always. It, it's funny. We always they, they want us to say something. Conservation's <laughs> great, man. I don't care. You know, if there's a unicorn group, I, man, let's not get crazy. But you know, if you're doing something for the habitat, man, you, you're a friend of mine. I'm, I'm glad you're doing it, kind of deal. But to answer your question, it was DU was the <laughs> awesome, awesome. All righty, kind of. You know, I, I wanted to see if there is a success story or like a favorite project you guys have been a part of um, since you've been part of DU. I'll start with you, Dave. I think it. You know, going back to this latest project that we had with the uh, at the Kank Key at at the Kank, we all refer to it as that. Uh, you know, that's that's a big deal. Like, if you have ever watched the uh, Everglades of the North, the PBS special, yeah, yeah, you just can't imagine what that was like. And to think that we just drained it and tilled it, we're growing, you know, corn, corn and soybeans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so that to see it. To see a little bit of the the kink coming back, the kink key marsh being restored, that's what that's huge to me. Awesome. I think my favorite success is is where we're at right now. So I, I got involved in college, you know, in DU, Indiana speaking. We raised about four hundred thousand dollars as a state, which we were proud of right now. Um, but we've grown, we've got younger, we've got better at our events, we, we've got more volunteers, more members, um, and got to see that be a part of that and stuff. And now our volunteers, we're going to celebrate. We're just shy of two million raised this year for conservation. So that's awesome. I know that's not a tangible deal, but that's going to fund a ton of conservation and bring a lot of new people to the organization that are learning about conservation. So. That's a, a recent deal, but that's that's my favorite success because it's after COVID, man. That was a tough tough to get through for a lot of organizations and such. And our volunteers bounced back, man, and and didn't take no for an answer. And so we're hitting a mi- new milestone. That's again Indiana, you know, oh, not yeah. a not a duck state per se, but man, they're <laughs> they're really cutting the mustard. So oh, that's great to hear, definitely. And uh, then then what is the what is the driving factor behind why you why are you a part of and and why you're such a major part of DU. You know, for me, it was, it came, I came at it from that youth aspect of what, what is my legacy going to be for my kids? What am I going to leave them? You know, yeah, we'll be a few dollars here and there, but to me, it's, it's doing the conservation work, putting in the time, explaining to them where our ducks come from and how, 
how the whole ecosystem works together. I mean, you think about one acre of wetlands, what do they say, like, you know, about 400 species, mm-hmm. you know, if you tilled up that acre of wetlands, you just lost 400 species. Mm. And then you're going to turn into a monocrop agriculture and spray it with Roundup. You know, yeah, you're going to have some bugs in there, but not like you did. So, I mean, to me, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. The legacy. You know, I, I think all of it, you, you come, basis of conservation, you know, and, and I think the the more educated, you know, everybody, I mean, Again, any material you can get your hands on, understand the life cycle, understand migration and that. The more research you do, the more you understand your, your conservation organizations, what they're trying to accomplish. And that's kind of where at college, you know, I went and got in policy. That's what kind of drove me to the organization. And then it realized that, like, man, I'm never going to be able to cut a check, you know, to donate enough to, like, really make a change. So that's where I became a volunteer. I said, man, I can give a couple hours, you know, down there drink some beer, pick out some guns, sell some raffle tickets, not too hard. You know, you meet some, some other guys that you can talk duck hunting about nine months out of the year kind of deal. And, uh, but now it's kind of that just trying to do more, you know, trying to create a legacy, trying to get more people in there. Cause it's, you know, we know the golden days. I mean, that's, that's, what's really like almost scary to me is guys our age, like this is the golden days. You know what I mean? If you look at waterfowl populations, um, access, you know, all that kind of deal, none of us that are on this podcast know anything other than a 60 day season, you know, in our flyway, like no point system, no 30 day season, no, you know, huge restrictions. So times are good right now. Let's keep them that way. And then, like I said, as we start becoming, you know, dads and stuff, it's like, man, I, I don't want to have to look my son in the eye or grandkids in the eye and be like, man, tell you all these stories about these ducks that aren't here. Cause I didn't do something about it. You know? So that's, you know, we get some, it's it's a it's a losing agenda. You know, we just had like Senate Bill three eighty nine come through a year ago. You know, it took a lot of protections off wetlands in Indiana. Man, I don't know how many late nights we had. It's all this work we've done, and it's like it's it's for nothing. You know, and but you think about that. You think about man, what if we didn't do this? What if we didn't chip in? There's going to come a day, and I, I don't want to like try to scare anybody into into joining or anything. But man, if we didn't do the work we do, if organizations didn't make the impact we did. We're not going to have those awesome days with your with your buddies, man. You know, you're stacking birds like it just will not happen. Definitely, definitely, that's uh, very well said. Can you can you say what the the DU mission is again? Yeah, the statement. So it's, it's conservation sufficient to fill the skies with waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. Awesome. So I mean, that kind of ties into it. It's it's right. You know, conservation's a. I don't want to go down this road. There's so many good cliche things, but it's, you know, the conservation is basically men that, that'll plant a seed of a tree. They'll never sit under the shade, you know, and that's, it's so hard because I think in, in today's, and we're all, you know, that Amazon mentality, you want to do something, you want to get something right back out of it. You know, the work we do, we raise all this money, we put all this effort into it. And I'm speaking on behalf of the volunteers and we're probably never going to see that project, you know, or see it to, to fruition. You know, we might never shoot a duck that we actually raise money for, but it's like, there's some dude out there that is, you know, and then when he raised, I'm going to, you know, if the, the winds blow and, you know, stars align, man, that's going to be that perfect flock that makes my season kind of deal. So it's, uh, it's cool to think that way. It's, it's got to have a little faith in it. You know, you got to trust the process, but it's, uh, it's again, man, it's, it's building a legacy. You know, it, it only takes a little bit. If we all chip in a little bit, man, it, it we can move mountains. Definitely. Definitely. Well, well, very well said. So, um, well, I feel like it's probably a good place to go ahead and, and wrap the podcast up. I, I really appreciate you guys coming out here and, and uh, uh, sitting down and talking Ducks Unlimited with me and mm-hmm. talking about conservation. And uh, just can't say enough. Really appreciate you guys, uh, the work that you guys are doing uh, as well in, in the DU organization. So it's yeah. 
it's definitely awesome to see. No, thank yeah. you for being a good advocate, man. We need more of those. I mean, that's uh, you know not trying to preach to you guys, but but trying to be you know conservation and just being a good sportsman. I mean, we need more of it, you know, because it's it's, uh, it's we're, we're eating our own in that aspect. So right. thanks for what you do and bringing a lot of those issues to the to the forefront. So awesome. Yeah, we appreciate the opportunity and keep putting out the good content. Will do. Will do. All righty, folks. I'm Jordan from Duck and Chronicles. Josh from. Uh, DU and Dave as well from DU and we'll see you guys on the next one.